0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, June 10th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. We're keeping it simple on the podcast this week, talking all election all the time. Iowa had its primary election this past week on Tuesday, June 7th. Your friendly podcasters here were up into the late hours following all the results across the state so we could report them back to you and now talk about them on the podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me today are Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, I, uh, I
1: did all my uh, planning for uh, talking about the South Dakota election, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm woefully unprepared. I can oh. talk to you about uh, Dusty Johnson and, uh, and Christy Nome.
2: Uh, <laughs> we can take this thing regional. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We might even win like a regional Emmy or something. There you there go. If we go, go regional. Mm-hmm.
0: Dream big, man. Dream big. Also with me are with us is Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Sarah.
3: Good morning. And there's also a really competitive uh, congressional seat in over on the Illinois side. We could talk about as well on <laughs> in Rock Island. There,
0: there you go. Before you know it, we'll be coast to coast. Of course, uh, we're talking Missouri River coast to Mississippi River coast, uh, and also Todd. Gazette uh, opinion editor, uh, sorry, Todd Dorman. Todd Gazette editor. here. <laughs> <laughs> opinion editor for
2: the Gazette. Good morning, Todd.
0: A lot
1: of good people morning. don't know. Oh, sorry, Todd.
2: <laughs> good morning, and I, I've just been told that the governor is a, uh, is is giving me a voucher to to leave the state, <laughs> it's a travel voucher.
0: What what state is? Watch the fine print for that, though. It may only be good
2: in so many states. Yeah, it's, I think it's got to be a thousand-mile radius. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So
0: let's let's start um, at, at the top of the uh, ticket here this past Tuesday. Uh, we had a primary on the Democratic side in Iowa's U.S. Senate campaign. Um, national reporters seem to be stunned by Mike Franken's victory over Abby Finkenauer. Um I'm not a crystal ball prediction type of guy, uh, Todd, but it, it, I think we talked about this on the podcast in the weeks leading up to it, that uh, those of us who are here on the ground in Iowa very much felt that was a competitive race and believed that Mike Franken had a very real chance uh, uh, to win that one. Uh, let, let me just start, and we'll go around the horn here with everybody, but we'll start with you, Todd. What was your reaction and, and takeaway from Mike Franken's victory?
2: I was, uh, I was surprised by the lopsidedness of it. I mean, he won by 15 percentage points, which I didn't expect. Uh, You know, he, he sort of peaked when he needed to peak, which was in the last couple months of the campaign, he raised decent money and was able to get on TV and up his media game. Uh, Unlike the last time he ran during the height of the pandemic, he was able to travel the state and meet voters face to face. And apparently they liked what they heard. Uh, and also, you know, we've talked about before, there was that two, little over two week period where uh, Abby Finkenauer was sort of mired in this controversy over her petition signatures, which she she barely collected enough to, to qualify for the ballot. And then Republicans challenged some of the signatures and the you know, the state election panel said it was fine. She could be on the ballot. Then a district court judge said, no, he can't be on the ballot. And then the Supreme Court ruled unanimously that she could. And during that time, of course, it was an open question on whether, you know, she'd be on the ballot. And I think some people decided, well, we better take a look at this Mike Franken because he may suddenly become the, the front runner and, you know, in, in the race. So all of that combined, uh, you know, just, just all of the circumstances just sort of Lined up against Finkenauer, and and Franken turned out to be maybe a, a better candidate than we than we gave him credit for earlier, and, and that we saw in the last, you know, the last time he ran. Uh, Jared, Mike Franken is from your neck of the woods over there in, in
0: Sioux City. Um, you had a chance to cover him, uh, I believe, a couple of times during the primary campaign. What was your uh, take away from his win? Well,
1: one thing I would say that's a little bit interesting about over here is that uh, Abby Finkenauer actually did decently uh, in some parts of my neck of the woods. And conversely, Franken did pretty well in her old uh, congressional district. And um, that was one of the things I was kind of thinking about when I was thinking about, you know, maybe we were a little bit too deferential to the chances that Finkenauer's campaign had. There wasn't a lot of solid polling in the race, which is one thing. Um, and then, you know, Todd talked about the, the signatures issue. And then this was someone who lost a congressional race in 2020. So the support in her own backyard was a little bit tenuous. And like I said, that showed on Tuesday night because she lost a, a number of counties, not just one or two, that were in her old uh, district. So and, and uh, as far as like Siouxland goes, she didn't show up here a whole lot. Um, maybe once or twice and none of the times since I was here maybe that I can recall anyway. So yeah, I mean, you kind of add all of that up and maybe even the margin, although it was surprising, maybe it, it shouldn't be when you take all that into consideration.
0: Yeah, that, that that's a good point about those results. That was, and I discussed this um, with a, a radio outlet uh, over in Eastern Iowa uh Robin who Johnson, who has a great program on WVIK, check it out if you get a chance. Um, and we talked about how the, as you look at the counties that the two candidates won, you could almost look at that map and 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 go back in time and say this looks like how Abby Finkenauer will win these counties, where there's the big metros, and here's these Mississippi River counties in Southwest Iowa where maybe Mac Franken is a little more moderate candidate and he'll win those candidate those counties. And it actually turned out to be the exact opposite, which is really fascinating.
1: Yeah. One, one I should mention to that point is like, if I, if I remember correctly, this one I was keeping tabs earlier on Tuesday night, like Polk County wasn't even particularly close between no. Franken and Finkenauer. So, right. and that exactly. kind of sealed the deal.
0: Yeah. That, that was fairly, and, and Polk County's uh, good at, the, the uh, auditor is good at getting those election results up early. So we had numbers coming in from them really quickly after eight o'clock polls closed and and it became pretty apparent really quickly Tuesday night, uh, which way that, um, race was headed. Uh, Sarah, hopefully we didn't take all the good info. What what do you got left to, to tell us about this one?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to note, um, in Scott County, we really didn't see either candidate. Um, Mike Franken came, um, like right before the primary and he was here. Um, kind of early on but uh but I don't think we got any visits from Finkenauer like public visits and um but despite that she actually won Scott County um by 500 votes um over Mike Franken so I just thought that that was really interesting and then you know you guys pointed out some really um uh really important points about you know her um her troubles with uh getting on the ballot and um you know even and losing in um, her old district I thought that was really interesting
0: yeah uh, no home court Advantage she uh, did not take either Lynn or Dubuque counties uh, she currently lives in Cedar Rapids grew up in Dubuque County and and uh, uh the home court advantage didn't help her there uh, the other thing I just wanted to add to this is um all the factors that have been brought up, I think, are great points and absolutely played into this. And, and then the one that maybe we missed um, was if, if you're trying to get into the mindset of where Iowa Democratic voters were in this, um, a, a huge motivating factor was who can beat Chuck Grassley, who's got a chance to beat Chuck Grassley. And and I, I just think it's interesting that um, this is the way that Iowa Democrats feel they needed to go to 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 mount a more serious challenge to Chuck Grassley in this fall's general election. And and to his credit, um, Mike Franken leaned into that argument. He he made that argument. He, he literally put it on yard signs and bumper stickers. Um, they they literally say Mike Franken the and I forget the wording off the top of my head, but it's something to the effect of Mike Franken, the candidate who can beat Chuck Grassley, something along those lines. So that you know, slogan slash that case that he made on the campaign trail seems to have paid off for him. Um, The other big overarching uh, kind of narrative I want to get to before we uh, go around and talk about the different pockets of the state that we each cover is at the state legislative uh, level where there were some really interesting Republican uh, primary results. And, and again, Todd, I'll start with you on, on this one. Um, a number of primaries with Republicans versus Republicans, including some where challengers defeated sitting house Republicans, uh, a couple of interesting incumbent versus incumbent matchups. Um, what forces do you think were at play? What trends did we see um, in those results?
2: Well, um, the legislature is going to get even more conservative if you if you can believe that, uh, because the governor went out and campaigned against a number of several incumbents who didn't support her school voucher plan. they thought it would hurt their local public schools. Uh, the governor and, and various groups you know poured influence and money into those races and and the incumbents were were not only beaten in some of those places but beaten, pretty soundly by candidates who are going to come and vote for school vouchers and, and all, all sorts of other sort of, you know, conservative stuff beyond what we've already seen. So legislature is going to get more conservative. The governor is going to be emboldened because she made these bets and ended up winning. Uh, But it's, you know, it's, it's, it's good for voters in that it does provide some clarity. Uh, I mean, this, this, the November election is going to be sort of a referendum on whose vision of public education is going to, is going to, you know, win the day. Is it going to be the governor's vision where she, she takes tens of millions of dollars from public schools and gives them in gives it to scholarships for private schools and, and kind of continues the, the uh, rhetorical assault on public schools being places where kids are being indoctrinated and, threatened by transgender, you know, support rules and things like that? Or is it going to be, you know, D.J. I will be talking about, you know, likely talking about putting more resources into public schools, talking about reform and, and ways to make public schools better. So that's going to be, you know, that's going to be quite a contrast. We've never seen a governor, at least I can't think of one or don't know of one who's kind of run for re-election on a on a platform to sort of, to, to take resources away from public schools and emphasize private education. That's a big change. And I guess we'll we'll see how that, you know, works out.
0: Um, Sarah, were, were there any um, of these really interesting high stakes uh, legislative arrests in your area in the Quad Cities area? I'm trying to remember.
3: There weren't any um, incumbent on uh, challenger races uh, in the Quad Cities. There were several um, newcomer. There's several uh, open districts, either legislators retiring or running for other office. Um, so just the one in particular that we were watching was um, a primary in um, an eastern metro uh, district, Senate District uh, 47, um, where... Uh, So the winner of that, uh, it was two city council members against each other. And the winner of that, Scott Webster, is going to be facing um, uh, Mary Figaro. And she didn't have a primary opponent, but uh, she's pretty well funded right now. Um, She has a significant financial advantage over Scott Webster right now. So uh, it seems like the Democrats are really thinking that that district is going to be um, competitive and voter registration shows it's pretty even De- Republicans have a slight edge. Um, so I think that that will be um, definitely interesting. And with it being like a uh, a more urban it's like Bettendorf and then but then it's also Leclaire and Eldridge. So the candidates will have a mix of voters who you know might be definitely schools will be will be a huge topic, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, and in that primary, were any of those issues that Todd talked about? Were the candidates going back and forth on any of those? Whether it's the 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 private school vouchers or the um, the transgender stuff, did any of that come up in that Republican primary? There.
3: Yeah. So um, his challenger, Barry uh, Scott Webster's challenger, Barry Long. He was really his top priorities were. uh, keeping transgender girls from um, participating in girls sports and um, said he wanted to el- eliminate the um, the state income tax and uh, was a full-throated backer of the um, voucher bill. But uh, Scott Webster was supportive of those policies, but said, you know, I'm not sure if I have some concerns about uh, the voucher bill if um, we're sending money to like rural school districts, as opposed to keeping it in, um, uh, in house. And so he's really a, um, seems to be in Gary Moore's mold. Um, But he also is good friends with, um, with uh, Robbie Smith, who is, running for state treasurer and he, you know, has enact or introduced these like voting law restrictions and stuff too. So, so we'll see how the general election plays out.
0: So, and that's super interesting. I'm glad you said that because there's, um, a narrative that's been building that, uh, you know, the governor's endorsements and that school choice was the issue that decided a lot of these. And I, it, I've been doing some research and I think it's a little more, complicated than that. And and shameless plug, um, watch for my story coming in 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 all your favorite Gazette and Lee papers over the weekend, um, that it, it wasn't just one issue and that also there was some uh, financial uh, forces at, at, at play here. So it's interesting to hear that you have an example, Sarah, of a, of a race where that dividing line was clear, but the the more, I think it's fair to say, more moderate, more closer to the center position was the candidate who won in that race so it, so it wasn't necessarily across the board everywhere
3: now right well and i'm side, not sure if that over. issue oh, was oh sorry like, go ahead sorry. oh sorry i'm sorry uh i w- i'm not sure totally if those issues were like completely at uh, like the central focus, like Scott Webster has a lot of connections being a, mm-hmm. a Bettendorf city council member. And it's like a, he owns a home building. So a lot, sometimes too, these local races are just, who do you know and who can you get to the polls for you?
0: I'm, I'm doing that little thing where you, you touch your nose because you signal. that's exactly right. That's such a great point. Now, all that said, uh, we go back to prove the narrative to Jared over in Sioux city. Where that did happen in a race up there with an incumbent, right, Jared?
1: Yeah, and um, uh, first, kind of the big takeaways for Northwestern Iowa, I would say, is we had at least three first-time candidates uh, winning, including one in the uh, the Dennis Bush race, uh, and then we even had another um, Kendall Zilstra who came within 220 votes of defeating Skylar Wheeler, who's a three-term. Uh, incumbent. And I thought that was very interesting. And the the money that ended up going into that race a little while ago for Wheeler probably made the difference in those 220 votes there. And then, yeah, specifically with the Dennis Bush race, um, Zach Deacon won that as a, a first-time candidate. And I don't even necessarily think now that the biggest surprise is that Dennis Bush lost, because we kind of talked about this, that obviously governor's endorsements are important. Um, I think the biggest surprise, like with the Finkenauer franken race, is that the margin of victory for Deacon was massive. He captured not a majority or not a plurality of the vote, but a majority. He had 55 percent, which is really strong in a three-person primary with an incumbent, um, which sort of scans then, you know, as a fairly clear message that, A, uh, gubernatorial endorsements matter uh, money coming in from Americans for prosperity that also matters uh, and that you know there's an appetite among a pretty fair percentage of um, Iowan primary voters in the GOP that they want to see school vouchers made into a reality
0: yep yep and and I think and maybe what we should take away from this as we hear from the race in Sarah's area and and, and the race in Jared's area that that you know different areas of the state have different types of voters even within the republican party and and uh and to sarah's point candidates matter as well sometimes oftentimes even more than issues especially at the state legislative race so um we should be careful of the uh the sweeping one size fits all narrative and, and uh really consider these races race by
2: race well and um, we had the uh the district, the House District 66 race over here where uh, uh, Representative Steve Bradley, first termer, beat longtime lawmaker, Ways and Means Chair Lee Hine. Uh, And really the main issue in that race was abortion because Hine had, Mm -hmm. had voted against the constitutional amendment that would end a fundamental right for abortion. And he also voted against the heartbeat bill. And both were votes he took because of personal experience with his own daughter having uh, fetal anomalies at you know, 12 weeks of pregnancy and having to make some tough decisions. Uh, of course, the heartbeat bill would, would outlaw abortion. It passed roughly six weeks. So, you know, he, he had this personal experience with that issue and, but, and Bradley ran as an unabashed, no abortion, no, no, you know, no exceptions life begins at conception candidate so that's uh that's how Hine was knocked off yep yep. and
0: again um as with uh jared's race and he alluded to this there was significant money spent in that race as well and and it was put behind bradley um the the money went to Stephen bradley far more than lee Hine in that race and and again I'm, i'm starting to steal from my uh, spoiler alert myself mm-hmm. here but uh again as a reminder check out that story that's coming this this weekend. Um uh great stuff. Let's let's go around the horn one last time here before we sign off and see if there's anything else that uh stood out. Todd, I wanted to ask you if you could tell us a little bit about Joel Miller who's going to be running for secretary of state uh, against Paul Pate. He had a primary. It was a county auditor versus county auditor uh, primary. And he, uh, Joel Miller from your neck of the woods there in Lynn County defeated Clinton County's Eric Van Lanker. What what kind of things should we expect to hear from Joel Miller in that secretary of state race?
2: Well, it was, it was interesting. I wasn't sure at all how that was going to turn out. I mean, no one pulls the secretary of state's race. Uh, and, you know, Miller's been sort of a, you know, he's been a little bit of a sort of a controversial figure over the years. He's he's battled with the Board of Supervisors over his ability to to audit, uh, you know, county accounts. And he, there was a lawsuit and, and, and you know, lots of bad blood. Things have really quieted down. And uh, it's it's interesting. I think what set him apart was the fact that, the the Trump campaign sued him for uh, sending out. He'd sent out absentee ballot request forms that were already filled out with all of the information, and the state. There was a state law that the legislature had just passed, and he he thought the law. He, he could still do it under the law. It turned out he couldn't. He lost the court battle. He was one of the when when the legislature was doing more. Uh, more voting limits and, and, you know, putting in criminal penalties for so-called rogue auditors who, you know, do something that the legislature doesn't like. He was probably the, the public enemy number one for, for the Republicans who, who, uh, who passed that. So, and, it's, and why that's interesting, I, I think the fact that Trump sued him maybe became a reason why Democrats voted for him. In fact, I, on election night, I looked at the the CNN election page, and he was one of the top stories. Auditor that was sued by Trump wins Secretary of State primary in Iowa. So <laughs> I'm just like, wow! I maybe we should have covered this. I don't know, <laughs>
0: but I, I could just hear the CNN click counters head spinning as they wrote that headline.
2: Oh yeah, I mean because you know you've got all this national dialogue and debate about voter restrictions and democracy in peril. Well, here's a, here's a guy who's potentially going to be running elections in Iowa, who was someone that Donald Trump sued for trying to help people vote. So that's from a national standpoint, it's a pretty interesting story. I mean, locally, you know, it's our, our County auditor and, uh, and he has done, I mean, as far as what to run on, he has done a pretty good job, uh, you know, getting people to vote. It's, we have pretty high turnout in Lynn County for most, for the most part, you know, he couldn't mail, you can't mail people absent or absentee ballot request forms. He can't, they have to request them. But so he, he printed them in the local shopper that comes free to everyone. So I think like 25% of the, in the, in the, Election last year, 25 percent of the absentee ballots that were requested were requested using that thing cut out of the out of the shopper. So, yeah, yeah. so he's going to be running as someone who, you know, wants wants to encourage voting, wants to make voting easier. I'm sure he's going to be critical of of Paul Pate, you know, support for all of these things that Republicans have have passed. And so it it could be an interesting race. It's an interesting Cedar Rapids you know, Paul Pate's from, from this area also. So it's a kind of a Lynn County clash.
0: Yeah. And, and real quick, before we go back to Jared and Sarah here, uh, Todd, let me ask you, and we'll have time to cover this more in depth in future podcasts here over the summer, but I'm just curious to get your, at, at the start of the general election campaign here, um, a couple other statewide races that, um, may be more competitive than them in the past for attorney general and treasurer, Tom Miller and Mike Fitzgerald, the longest serving, um, people in those state offices in, in U.S. history. Um, Attorney General Tom Miller is going to face a, a, a very serious candidate in Brenda Byrd, who was a uh, Republican, Brenda Byrd, who's a former uh, chief counsel to Governor Terry Branstad. And uh, Sarah mentioned earlier, Republican State Senator Robbie Smith is running for treasurer against Mike Fitzgerald. Um, those are two guys, two officers that in past years have kind of cruised to Massive election victories because they've been there forever. They don't usually get a serious challenge. What's your, uh, again, just really quick uh, handicap of those two races at the onset?
2: Well, it's a, you know, it's a red state now. And so Democrats can't take anything for granted. I, I, I I would think that Miller and Fitzgerald would be favorites. Although I know, you know, a lot of conservative voters probably really like the You know, the prospect of Brenda Byrd being in charge of the attorney general's office and, you know, suing Joe Biden left and right. But, uh, and I bet they get rid of that, that, you know, thing where she has to get permission from the governor to file a lawsuit. I think, I think that might go away. I mean, call me crazy. I just, I I just, I don't think that's going to survive. Fitzgerald probably, I, I don't, you know, I don't, people just, they know who he is and that's part of the battle with a, race down the ballot like that is that, uh, well, you know, Fitzgerald has been there a long time, but you know, uh, when, 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 uh, Mike Franken is talking about how Chuck Grassley's been in office too long, he just really needs to not talk about Tom Miller and, <laughs> and, and Fitzgerald and <laughs> who, who, you know, I was, I was, they probably, they, well, Miller's been attorney general since I was uh, probably in, like, uh, second grade. So, and now I'm 50. Come on, man.
0: <laughs> uh, and like I said, those will be interesting. I agree. Those will be interesting to watch, and, and we'll keep an eye on those as the, the campaign unfolds. Uh, before we sign off circle back one last time uh, to, to Jared and Sarah to see if there's anything else interesting that happened in their neighborhood as we kind of covered some of those state legislative races so if there's anything among those we didn't hit earlier or even any local races jared up in northwest iowa what 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 else stood out to you tuesday night so there was maybe a little
1: bit of this here on the, the county level as opposed to the state legislative level but then i also noticed it kind of statewide too and that's that It wasn't as great of a night for the more leftward side of the Democratic Party. I know there wasn't an expectation necessarily for, you know, Glenn Hurst to to crush it, but he didn't even clear 10,000 votes, which doesn't, you know, portend good things for progressives and their chance of building a strong base in the state. And, you know, on a similar wavelength to that, there was a real chance for a progressive to win down closer to you in uh, House District 36. Cause there was like six candidates running in that race and, you know, surprises can happen in that big of a field. And uh, Jalen civil uh, got 21% to about 49% for uh, Austin bath, which that's a sizable gap. And then, like I said, here in the County level uh, for uh, supervisor, the kind of more established candidate in the democratic primary um, won that one too. So if you're, you know, more on the left wing of the democratic party, Tuesday wasn't, you know, the the greatest night of your life,
0: yeah that that's a good point. And the one exception I will point out to that, and this was fascinating to me uh, here locally, is the Polk County Attorney race. Uh, the hmm. primary uh, was won by Kimberly Graham, who podcast listeners uh, that name may ring a bell. She ran for um, oh gosh, this ter- terrible terrible uh, Todd was it governor or senate? I think she ran for the senate. It was a senate primary. I knew yep. it was one of the statewide ones, and uh, for. Please, uh, listeners, forgive my just god awful memory and brain camp there. But anyway, she's uh, uh, a, um, a very progressive candidate, and and uh, was not super successful in that race either. But uh, came into this and, and won a competitive primary for uh, the Democratic race for Polk County Attorney. So uh, that'll be an interesting one to watch. Which with. is
2: yeah, and it's interesting because the the national trend in the elections this week was you know toss out these you know, liberal prosecutors yep. because the crime's gotten so bad and Polk County went kind of the different direction. Yeah. One,
1: one other one for me, um, cause, uh, Todd kind of mentioned, um, uh, Trump a little bit, and this is, this is a small thing, but, um, in the Senate district, uh, three race, which was two, uh, first time candidates, Lynn Evans and, uh, Anthony LaBruna, uh, Lynn Evans got 64% of the vote. Against a guy who could actually claim that he worked for the Trump administration, uh, LeBruno was like a liaison for the Department of Commerce, not not for very long, and he was only a recent, you know, transplant to the district anyway. But I would still think that you know that maybe would have helped a little bit more than it ended up helping out in that uh, that race.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. All right, Sarah, bring us home. What what uh, what loose ends do we need to tie up in the Quad Cities area there?
3: Yeah, I will just say, um, you know, uh, there was that that trend of kind of uh, more throwing out the left-leaning candidates, Um, you know, that's obviously with exceptions, but um, that happened in Senate District 41. There was a competitive Democratic primary between um, a woman who, Deb VanderGast, who is a... uh, Uh, child care advocate. She's done some national and state policy roundtable or um, been part of groups to shape national state policy. And, uh, and then Nicole Tutton, who was a who is a pretty left leaning candidate. Um, And so Deb Vandergast won that the more moderate candidate. And that district is really interesting. It seems like the Democratic Party, especially is going to think that one's really competitive in the general, Mm -hmm. because um, it the district is all of Cedar County, some parts of Muscatine County, and then um, like Northwest Davenport, Um, so it's a, it's a real mix of urban and rural, uh, voters that I think will be interesting come the general. All
0: right. Plenty for us to watch and follow and report back to all our listeners here on the podcast in the, in the coming months we're in the general election now, uh, Godspeed and good luck to us all. That'll do it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell your friends. Subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And you can send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. And make sure you stay up to our stay up to date on our team's coverage of state government and the campaign trail on our uh, newly branded On Iowa Politics newsletter. You can subscribe to that at thegazette.com. And don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs, Daily Nonpareil, and of course the Cedar Rapids Gazette. For our team, Sarah, Jared, Todd, and our producer Nathan, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you again next week.
1: Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news
2: podcast.